As we prepare to look at the Word of God, let me invite you to open up a Bible with me to the New Testament letter written to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, and Colossians is a short letter near the end of your Bible. It can easily be skipped over, probably three or four pages, and uh, if you have a printed copy of God's Word, remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Many of you can remember the hours and the days following the announcement of the death of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman on June the 12th, 1994, after they had been discovered murdered in Los Angeles County, California. When former professional football star O.J. Simpson was announced as the suspect in this Murder. It seemed as, with, as if the world stopped what they were doing and tuned in to watch as the story unfolded on national television. And though he maintained that he was innocent, he failed to appear at 11 a.m. on June the 17th and turn himself in as had been previously negotiated by his lawyers. Perhaps you remember the media frenzy that followed as white Ford Bronco was spotted driving down the interstate as a friend was driving him. Dozens of police cars began pursuing him and many many news helicopters circled overhead. And though the story had not yet been examined before a jury and jury had not yet announced Their verdict, for several hours on that day, O.J. Simpson was considered a criminal at large. He was considered a man who was in a severed relationship with those in authority, a severed relationship with the law, the authorities of Los Angeles County. As we look at God's word together this morning, we will also be reminded that we who are believers in Jesus Christ were once in a severed relationship with the one who has authority over us, running away from him, helplessly running, selfishly running in the opposite direction from the one to whom we are accountable. So let me invite you to look with me now at Colossians chapter 1 as we continue this message series Rediscover Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. God's word there reads this way. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight. Without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, Established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And this too is the gospel that we have heard. This is the gospel message that brings us together week after week as followers of Jesus Christ, as members of his church, yet I'm convinced that we often lose sight of the incredible miracle 
that takes place in the lives of believers as a result of this gospel message. And the miracle is this, that through the death of Jesus, God makes his enemies his friends forever. Through the death of Jesus, God makes his enemies his friends forever. You know, if we're all honest this morning, there are some people, for most of us, perhaps all of us, that we just don't get along with very well. One or both parties, usually both parties, has done something at some point to cause a rift in the relationship. Perhaps it was a relationship that started on a good foot and then deteriorated from there. Maybe it was a relationship that never got off the ground. But when it comes to our relationship with our maker, when it comes to our relationship with God, there is a rift in the relationship and only one party is responsible for that rift and that is us. The Bible is true and I wholeheartedly believe that it is. Then all of us, all people, all of us gathered here today, all people past, present and future have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As a result of our sin, as a result of our shortcoming, as a result of our rebellion against the perfect, sinless, matchless, eternal God, we are separated from God. There's a gulf between where we are and where God is. The relationship has been severed. There's a a rift that has taken place. We are not in right relationship with God apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the few hours that O.J. was missing on June 17th, his friend and lawyer, Robert Kardashian, got in front of the news media and read a letter on national television that was interpreted as a suicide letter where O.J. indirectly conveyed that this accusation was just more than he could handle. That this rift between his relationship with the public and with himself and with his friends and with his family was just... Too much. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth going on with his life. It was an insurmountable gulf in his mind that that could not be overcome. And likewise, all people who have ever lived and walked on this earth because of our sin condition are in an insurmountable gulf with our Maker because of our rebellion, because of our sin, because of a condition that We inherited from the fall of man. We are separated from God apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality according to God's word, according to God's word in Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 and elsewhere, is that without the gospel, humanity is separated from God. Without the gospel, without the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, humanity is separated from God. Paul wrote, Verse 21, once you were alienated from God. He stated it this way in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. He said, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. For the story of redemption unfolded on earth through the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of us were without hope and without God in the world. We were in a hopeless and desperate situation. We were alienated from God. And that broken relationship between us and our maker was evidenced by our attitude toward him. And it is still evidenced by the attitude of all those who don't know him 
who have not received His saving grace and their attitude toward Him. The reality, according to the Word of God, is that the unregenerate are hostile toward God. The unregenerate are hostile toward God. The regenerate is a term that is used to describe those who experience new spiritual birth, new life. Those who have been born again, to use the language of Jesus with Nicodemus recorded in John chapter 3. So the unregenerate then are those who have not experienced that new life, that new birth. Not those who have turned to Jesus with repentance and faith, placing their faith in Him for forgiveness and salvation. Left in the spiritual condition that they were before and without Christ. The unregenerate or hostile toward God, characterized by actions and inactions, attitudes that are not pleasing to God, and hostility toward God results in evil behavior. More than just a position of the mind, just more than just a, a leaning of our will, a reality, a spiritual condition, a reality that manifests itself in the way that we live, the un regenerate or hostile toward God and hostility toward God results in evil behavior. The New International Version from which I'm reading this morning reads, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You may have a footnote down at the bottom that says, or minds as shown by, as shown by your evil behavior. I think that's closer to the intention of the letter, the English Standard Version reads this way, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. In other words, these evil deeds, this evil behavior, is an overflow of a broken relationship between the creature and the Creator, between people and, and God. Who we were before and without Christ revealed itself in the way that we live. And this is the part of the gospel message that is not very popular today. You know, people love to think of a God who provides a paradisaical heaven for all His creatures to enter into when they die. But people are not so keen on a God who says that we are in a severed relationship with Him. That we have rebelled against Him. That we have not lived up to His standard of perfection and thereby deserving of His eternal judgment. Folks, if the gravity of sin, if the seriousness of our sin, of our spiritual condition on our own before our Maker is diminished, then the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ diminishes. If sin is no big deal, then the grace of God is no big deal. Folks, beware of teaching today that minimizes our sin condition before a sinless God. Beware of teaching today that doesn't say much about our shortcomings before a holy God. Beware of teaching today that does not paint the gospel as a rescue mission, a rescue operation from God on our behalf. And the reality is that this perverted gospel teaching is all over the place today in the name of the church, in the name of Christianity, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you and I must run 
from it. Because any me-centered approach to the gospel is no gospel at all. Under the umbrella of prosperity gospel or self-help or whatever, it is not the gospel. Folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, apart from the grace of God as displayed on the cross of Christ, we are alienated from God. We are separate from Him. We are on a road to, to His judgment. As you know, without the rest of the story, that would be a dark story. No hope for us. But we know as believers in the gospel, as followers of Jesus Christ, as readers and hearers of this book, that that is not the rest of the story. So look back with me at God's word in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God, past tense, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds... Because of your evil behavior or as shown by your evil behavior. But now, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Church, in the gospel, God restores believers into right relationship with him. Without the gospel, humanity is separated from God. In the gospel, God restores believers into right relationship with him. Has reconciled, the verb in verse 22. This is the central verb of this entire passage. He, God, God has reconciled you. The central verb of this passage, not only the central verb of this passage, but the central action of the gospel story. That God has rescued us, that he has restored us, that he has reconciled us through Jesus Christ who provided the substitutionary sacrifice in our place so that we could be right with him. Once we were alienated, but now we have been reconciled by way of the cross. Once we were far away, but now we have been brought near by God's grace. And this is not a a plan that, that any human thought up. It's not as if people got together and began strategizing and thinking, how can we overcome this predicament that we're in before God? No, this, this was God's plan to overcome the predicament that we had put ourselves in. The cross of Jesus is God's provision and plan of salvation. The cross of Jesus is God's provision and plan of salvation. In the months that followed O.J. Simpson's arrest, his defense lawyers began working and studying and collaborating in order to come up with a plan that would save him from conviction before a jury. Likewise, our Maker, the author of life, the sovereign Lord of the universe, the Almighty God, took it upon himself to come up with a plan that would save us from conviction before him. That's an incredible reality, an incredible spiritual truth, a joyous truth from the Word of God that, that God, the eternal sinless God who must judge sin because He is a just God, found a way to justify us in His own eyes, declaring us innocent in His sight. Found a way to save us from conviction through the cross of Of Jesus Christ. Jesus took the separation of sin. So that we could be reconciled to God. Through the death of Jesus. God makes his enemies. His friends forever. The beautiful truth of Colossians chapter 1 verse 22. Is that the cross of Jesus exonerates the guilty. The cross of Jesus exonerates the guilty. To 
exonerate, it's to acquit, it's to vindicate, it's to pardon, it's to clear of, of any guilt. To clear of guilt before the one to whom we are accountable. Three phrases, three descriptions that are used here in Colossians 1.22 to describe our position, our status, what God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ. He has made us holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. First two of those, holy in His sight, set apart in His sight, without blemish. Recall the language that's used in the Old Testament to describe the sacrificial system, the physical animal sacrifices that would have to be brought and presented to God as part of the Israelites' worship of God. And they were to be perfect. They were to be without blemish. They were to be the the first and the best as a way of signifying that God is worthy of the first and the best. And they were also to be without blemish because they were a foreshadow of what was to come. They were a foreshadow of the perfect Lamb of God who would come to take away the sins of the world. And then the third description, free from accusation, not to not to bring to mind the scene of a, a courtroom or the scene of accountability before a judge, before one who has authority. And in this context, for us as believers, this brings to mind the judgment seat of God. Romans chapter 14, verse 10, to which all of us will one day come. On October 3rd, 1995, the world paused. An estimated 100 million people stopped what they were doing to tune in and to listen to the announcement of the verdict that this jury had reached regarding O.J. Simpson. They read the verdict, and though I was rather young at the time, I was a boy at the time, I remember that All anybody thought of, all anybody reacted to, the positive or negative, was the two words, not guilty. Not guilty. No one thought anything about the words that came before that. Nobody thought anything about the words that came after that. And in a similar way, on the day that we stand before the judgment seat of the almighty God as believers in Jesus Christ as followers of Jesus we will be pronounced not guilty not guilty we won't go before God and God say something like you know you you lived a pretty good life you did well and I'm proud of you here but I need you to give an explanation for this. Tell me about that fight that you got in at the football game and that some guy spilled his drink on you. Or tell me about the way you treated those around you in high school, maybe as a bully or a gossip. Or tell me about that website you looked at or the way you treated others, the way you treated your spouse or whatever. No. That's not going to be what happens on that day. Jesus Well, look at us and see us before God as not guilty. Innocent. 
holy in His sight, without blemish and, and free from accusation. One pastor and author regarding the contrast that's clearly made here in verses 21 and 22 regarding our position before God, alienated from God, reconciled to God, has written this. While the Scriptures, while the scriptures paint the darkest possibilities for man apart from Christ, they also give us the highest, noblest vision of man known to any religious conception anywhere. On that day, we won't need an argument. We won't need a, a plea. It will be enough that Jesus died, and that he died for me. Thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place. And unlike the verdict in the O.J. Simpson trial, which polarized the nation, there will be no arguing with the verdict on that day because everyone will know that none of us are there by our own innocence, but only because of the innocence of Jesus Christ that has been freely and graciously applied to us on our behalf. Folks, through the death of Jesus, God makes his enemies his friends forever, but Listen up as we look at the final verse of this passage because Scripture makes clear, makes clear here and elsewhere that not all will be declared friends of God on that day. Not all go from enemies of God to friends of God. Not all will be declared innocent in the sight of God before His judgment seat, but only those who truly respond with biblical faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who truly respond to the gospel continue in faith. Those who truly respond to the gospel continue in faith. The conditional clause found here in verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, implies that that there are some who do not continue in the faith. That not only are there some who never respond favorably to the gospel at all, but there are some in another category that respond in some way, outwardly, visibly, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet they... They are found guilty on that day. What are we to make of these? What are we to make of ones who respond outwardly in some form or fashion to the message of the gospel, yet don't remain followers of Jesus Christ? What are we to to make of a, a letter here that is addressed to supposed Christians in Colossae, reminding them to continue in the faith established and firm? I want to say that given the entire context of Scripture, I believe that the Bible teaches in the perseverance of the saints. In other words, those that truly respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ with faith in Christ, recognizing that He is Lord, remain His. But not only does the grace of God save us, but the grace of God secures us and keeps all who are His. I believe that Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 and other passages of Scripture confirm that reality, confirm that truth. Yet there are certainly some we know from verses like this and others, even words of Jesus that respond in some outward fashion, perhaps through a ritual, perhaps repeating words of a prayer, perhaps baptism, perhaps checking a box, perhaps church membership, yet who have never responded 
with biblical faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who have never truly given their lives to the one who is the Lord, the one who is Savior. They never began living as a follower of Jesus. They never began living as if they were truly forgiven of their sins. You know as well as I do that OJ's later actions in life did not help the public's perception of him. And likewise, only at a later time will it be evident, truly evident, who who those are that have truly been transformed by the grace of God and who those are that remain alienated in their sin before God. Folks, through the death of Jesus, God makes his enemies, his friends forever. In light of this reality, in light of the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, particularly presented here in Colossians chapter 1, as we draw to a close, I want to leave us with three points of application. The first is this, that we ought to remember the depths from which God has saved us. Remember the depths from which God saved you. None of us have done anything to earn His salvation. None of us on our own are in a better position before God than anyone else. And there are many things, of course, as believers that we could converse over and debate about regarding the Christian faith as we read it in the Bible. Things like the best form of church government or the best approach to missions or how often we ought to observe the Lord's Supper. But our condition before God, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not one of those things we can debate. Scripture is clear on this one. Without the grace of God that was carried out on the cross of Jesus Christ, you and I and the rest of the world are hopeless before our Maker. We are hopelessly lost without the grace of Jesus Christ. You and I were hopelessly lost before that grace was applied to our lives. The world is hopelessly lost without that reality. Remember the depths from which God saved you. And secondly, remember the heights to which He has saved you. Remember the heights to which He has saved you. Remember who you are now in light of what He has done on your behalf. Formerly alienated, now reconciled. Being prepared to be presented before the Almighty Judge and the Maker of Heaven and Earth as holy in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. Paul speaks of this same truth in his letter to the church at Ephesus. And he talks about the love of Christ giving Himself for the church to make to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her, the church, his people, to himself as a radiant church. Hear this. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Folks, through the death of Jesus, God makes his enemies his friends forever. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 17 and following. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God folks we have been entrusted with the greatest message you could ever tell 
the greatest story ever written. Not only have we been given the privileged status of sons and daughters of the Most High God, but we have been declared ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And therefore, we must preach the full gospel. We must preach, proclaim the full gospel of of Jesus Christ. Anything less than the full gospel, the biblical gospel, total picture is dangerous and insufficient. We must proclaim the full gospel, the gospel that audaciously declares that through the death of Jesus, God makes his enemies his friends forever. Have you been transformed by the grace of God as displayed through the cross of Jesus Christ? Have you gone from being separated from God, an enemy of God, to being a friend of God, a child of God, reconciled to God? And if so, are you proclaiming that message to every audience you get? Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you that you have given us this day to exalt you, to worship you, to adore you, to hear from you. Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, that you would continue to use the words of truth found in your Bible to penetrate our hearts, to penetrate our lives, to convict us of sin, to encourage us because of our new position in and through Jesus Christ. Lord, to propel us to live in light of who we are as your children. Father, I pray that you would continue to Lead us and guide us as your people that we might exalt you, that we might forever worship you and walk with you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen. We invite you to stand together as a church as we stand and declare praises to the God who has saved us.
Calvary's land. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as Be seated just for a couple moments, and uh, certainly before we continue, I want us to voice a, a prayer together and uh, pray for uh, God's direction and healing. Father, we do come before you now, and we, um, we trust in you because you're a great and mighty God. We know that you are a healer, you're a comfort, you are uh, the protector and author of life, so Lord, we pray for uh, the situation going on among us now. We pray for your intervention, we pray for your healing, we pray for the, the right next steps that... Uh, you would be glorified, and Lord, that you would lead uh, in mighty ways, showing yourself to be a faithful God, a mighty God, a God who is able to accomplish great things on behalf of your people. So we trust in you, we lean on you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things, amen. 